One year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in, guys. Great to have you. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-P-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Traps, snares, full selection of baits and lures, books, DVDs. Cotsboros has what you need to get started on the trap line. On X Maps, turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. Mark trap locations, view the latest aerial imagery, get landowner information, figure out who owns the land and the areas that you want to trap. You can scout, you can do a million different things never thought you would with uh, this onyx app so check it out onyxmaps.com promo code trap t-r-a-p for 20 percent off and oil mink and tannery you're out there catching fur the market is down it's been down for a while what are you going to do with the fur you catch this year you getting tired of those rock bottom fur prices maybe you haven't sold fur before maybe you want to um, make some items make some make a hat make some mitts pretty cool stuff with the fur that you've caught send that fur to moil um if you if you're just getting your the first of any species whatever particular species you're after guys don't make the mistake i did one of my biggest regrets is not keeping the first of each species that i caught when i started trapping you got to preserve those memories get your fur tanned by the professionals moil mink and tannery they're a family-owned business delivering quality product for more than 30 years. The go-to when it comes to professional tanning at a fair price. Go to moil.net. M-O-Y-L-E dot net. Get your order started using their customer portal. And I actually just sent a big shipment off the other day. Uh, just showed up there at Moil headquarters. Uh, of probably other than the beaver majority of the fur I caught this year went to Moyles to be tanned. And I get all kinds of thoughts and ideas and what I want to do with it. But um, I use the customer portal. I've used it before as well. And it's really simple and easy, especially for a lot of you guys that are younger and tech savvy. It's uh, going to be no problem. Um, it So there's a, they want you to use the portal because it's easier for them. And, you know, the, the, um, it, there's, there's advantages on both sides. You end up paying with credit card right away. And so they've got the payment in their system. All the paperwork's done ahead of time when you check out through the portal and you print uh, off your, your labels and your sheets. And then 
when they get the fur, they're able to streamline things. It makes it quicker. And so uh, your fur, at least in my experience, gets processed a lot quicker uh, by, by going through and using this portal. Now, when I went through the portal, I was trying to figure out if there's a way to, uh, to provide comments. And I couldn't find anything there, but uh, I will say I would love for you to let Moyle know that uh, you appreciate them supporting the podcast. And so uh, if, if you can send a message to info at moyle.net, that's I-N-F-O at M-O-Y-L-E.net. If you have used Moyle in the past or you are just starting to use Moyle, um, send them a message and say, hey, guys, thank you for supporting the Trapping Today podcast. We, uh, we love what you're doing, love your business, and uh, keep up the good work. I would very much appreciate that. This is a, a new thing, advertising with Moyle, and I would love that, them to get some feedback from us at the Trapping Today community um, to, to show uh, our support. And if you are, like me, shipping large volumes of fur to Moyle, I got a little tip for you, and I figured this out um, uh, after a lot of experience of running around and trying to get shipping quotes and kind of getting raked over the coals for shipping cost. Uh, the best thing that you can do, in my experience, is set up a UPS business account. If you do any amount of shipping large items, uh, you're going to save a pile of money uh, by going this route. It's a lot simpler than I thought it would be. And uh, you, you sign up there, ups.com, and I basically was able to cut the cost to ship a, a 40, 30 or 40 pound box in half by, by going through UPS business. So just a, just a little tip for some of you, uh, hopefully that might, might help you save a little bit of money. Because when we get into uh, fur and low priced items and everything, it's like sometimes shipping, especially you're shipping it two ways, it, and then you get it back, and then you get to do something with it. You might ship it again to a customer. You're really uh, shipping get, gets to be eating up a lot of the potential profit in in anything that you you happen to do. Now tonight we have a couple of orders of business that I want to go through, and then I've got a bunch of listener questions. I get some pretty cool listener feedback from from different folks. It's kind of that time of year, you know. Everybody's getting in, doing a bunch of trapping and asking, figuring out, you know, coming up with questions that they hadn't thought of before and also sending a lot of cool pictures of fur that they've caught. And it's a lot of new trappers, which is really exciting. I, I love uh, seeing and talking to new trappers and hearing how they got started and, and all of that. So it's been pretty awesome to, to read that stuff. And then we're going to talk about a ban, bill to ban trapping in the U.S. House of Representatives. We'll, we'll get into that here toward the end of the episode. But um, business, um, Trapping Today store. Uh, as you know, the store has been going here for a couple months now. It's been awesome. Uh, a lot of you have ordered the Mustela t-shirts. have been a huge hit. Prized Mustelids of the North American Trapper. Just a, a really beautiful shirt with incredible artwork by uh, one of our uh, listeners in the Trapping Today community. Philippe is uh, is quite an artist. He's actually working on a mural right now in his downtown, in his local town of Virginia, and he's he's painting this huge mural on the side of a building, and he actually incorporated a trapper into it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I would love for you guys to hear from Philippe, and I think we're going to make that happen. He has 
the most unconventional background of anybody who I've ever heard heard of in in trapping uh how he got to into trapping is pretty incredible so it just shows how diverse this whole trapping community is and can be and is becoming so we've got that uh the store's been great the lure a lot of people are buying the lure it seems like you know a lot of my lures i use them equally i use i use a bunch of i use all the lures i make but like i'll just rotate a lot of times you know i'll use predator plus i'll use uh, long distance call. I'll use predator. I'll use uh, even in, even like uh, trapping for Martin or Fisher. I might throw in some birch river beaver lure because the the beaver caster is a a huge uh, attractant. I'll use sweetness, uh, I'll, and I'll use some other stuff that I don't even sell. It, and you know, I've always been that kind of guy. I'm not really good lure salesman because I just I, I don't think it's as important as we all make it out to be. Uh, but for some reason, long distance call, there must be something in the name, being able to call an animal from a long distance is pretty attractive to people because that lure outsells everything, um, everything else combined, really. Uh, it's been, again, very popular. Uh, it is a very strong, skunky lure with a grease base that's waterproof, lasts a long time, had awesome feedback from so many different people uh, about about how successful they've been with the lure and it's not just skunk mixed in with some vaseline or you know like a lot of the stuff that you see out there it's uh it it has uh, quite a few other ingredients incorporated into it uh, essential oils and uh, attractants that that uh, are also working at the same time as uh, as that skunk is carrying the odor and, and calling animals from a very long distance. Uh, there's also a lot of a lot of those other scents that are working in the background. So it's been a great lure. Love it. Um, a lot of success. But uh, if you haven't, try some of the other lures as well. You know, check them out. But the reason I bring this up with the store, also sold some tan furs lately. Uh, several of you have uh, have picked up some of those from my trap line. And uh, what else we got? The books. Yeah, the books. The Walter Arnold book especially is has been selling incredibly well but big problem with with the store um, and it's been very very frustrating for me is all of the delays at the U.S. Postal Service it has been unbelievable how long it's taking for things to get to people I get a guy uh, that just emailed me in Pennsylvania. It's been two weeks, and there's there's been no update on the tracking on his order. You know, you, you've read, I, probably I've read, all the articles right around Christmas time with all the uh, postal service trucks that were backed up at distribution centers, waiting to get unloaded for days and days at a time. Uh, th- there's packages sitting all over the place. There's no doubt there's still stuff from that was shipped before Christmas that's waiting to get to its destination. So that has bothered me a lot. I actually had um, one guy that was was just convinced that the order was not going to arrive, even though we had discussed all of the delays, and I told him, let's just wait a little longer. He said, no, it's not coming. And I said, okay, I, I issued him a full refund. I felt terrible about it. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this is how it's been happening, out of the blue popped up. It, it showed up out for delivery the next day, um, the day after I, I issued the refund. And so it, it, this this has been happening. Actually, I sell some traps on eBay, 
and I had some traps that uh, were taking even priority males taking it should take two to three days it's been taking a week or more sometimes two weeks and I had a buyer that's uh, been been a little tough to deal with but anyway he uh, he opened a case on me because because the order hadn't arrived and uh the very next day, I just got out of the woods. I was in the woods for a couple of days. I see, oh, this guy opened a case on me. Um, okay, what am I going to do? And then I see he closed the case because the day after he opened the case, uh, all of a sudden the package showed up. And so there's all these delays and I'm getting messages from a lot of people and it's it's really bothering me because uh, I, I, I ship everything out almost without fail the very next day after I get the order. Um, if the, the very next business day that goes out and, and, uh, it's on its way to you, but then it could sit for a week or two and I have no control over that whatsoever. And I feel terrible because I want you guys to get your orders and it really reflects bad on me, uh, and, and on the service that I'm providing. If you're not getting your order, even if, you know, even if it's not me that did it, it in, in the back of a customer's mind, it's, oh, I don't know if I want to order from trapping today again. You know, I've, I haven't got my stuff yet. And so I, I've been really toying with this. Uh, actually, I came very close this afternoon to shutting down the store for a while until, until Postal Service can get their act together and start speeding things up. And then all of a sudden I get another couple of orders in. So I, I decided, oh, I guess I better not shut it down just yet. But... I, I'm I'm trying to figure out what to do. Um, I the UPS I could go UPS. They have been very reliable through all of this. However, um, my UPS distribution center is is 30 minutes away, and I don't go there very often. And so, in order to ship them out, I don't. We don't have a UPS store or anything or a drop off location closer than 30 minutes away from me. So, unless the guy shows up in my driveway and I can hand off the packages, it could be several days before your order gets shipped. And the UPS is going to cost about twice as much. So I'd have to raise the prices on everything. So not sure what's going to happen. I've been thinking this was all going to blow over and get better and postal service and get their act together. Um, I guess I'll wait a few more days and see, but if you see the store disappear for a while, that's why. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it has nothing to do with uh, with the future or anything. I'm, I'm going to uh, I, I have, I think I have some pretty big plans to continue on that route, uh, but it, it may take a, a few breaks now and then just to kind of make sure things are going to continue to run smoothly. We'll see how it goes. So that's the store, um, uh, podcast. One issue with the podcast is that it has not been updating on Stitcher. For those of you who are not familiar, Stitcher is one of those podcast apps that that catches the RSS feed from a podcast, and uh, several of you do listen from, or have listened from Stitcher. Three months ago, they stopped updating, and they said there's something wrong. Well, they didn't tell me anything. A a listener uh, sent me a message and said, hey, just so you know, your podcast hasn't been updating on Stitcher. Everywhere else, it's updating fine. Every other podcast app, it's it's working great. Uh, you know, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, um, just everything else out there. Castbox, whatever whatever you use, it shows up. Not on Stitcher. So I contacted them. They said, uh, uh, 
blah, blah, blah. There's something wrong with your RSS feed. You need to check check with your provider. I checked my provider. I went through and um, I verified that the RSS feed was just fine. And I tried uh, updating and changing a few other settings. It, nothing, uh, nothing changed. I contacted Stitcher uh, again and they got back to me and said, Basically, um, sorry, it's something wrong on your end. Uh, there's nothing we can do about it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you're going to have to fix it. Uh, in the meantime, I have not been able to log in to the Stitcher um, webpage where you know they, they have a special portal for creators who, who create podcasts. I had a username and login and, and password there, and now all of a sudden the login page hasn't worked for the past few weeks. And so I don't know what's going on there, and I uh, I have updated requests, and they have not gotten back to me. So potentially there's either a really bad bug there that they're, they have not yet fixed, or maybe the company's going out of business, or they're having troubles. But um, I apologize if you can't get the podcast on Stitcher, but if you check out any other podcast app, it's going to work for you. And if you have issues on any other of the apps, just let me know. And uh, we'll see what we can do. Now, let's get into some listener feedback. This is always fun to see. I, I love this. And this one, this first one is going to be from Alex from Maine. And this is the classic one that I get. And I just, I absolutely love it. It's where I'll get a message from someone at the beginning of the trapping season or, or you know, a couple months before trapping season they have some comments, questions, whatever. Maybe they order some lure. Maybe they they just have a few questions on certain aspects of, of trapping. And then I don't hear from them for a while. And then it gets toward the end of the season. And all of a sudden, I get a long email with a bunch of pictures. <laughs> that is just the coolest thing. Really rewarding. And I, I always have fun seeing that. So for those of you who have read the Walter Arnold book... The you've heard a lot of really cool stories about trapping in the backwoods of Maine and uh, the particular area that Walter Arnold trapped. Well, Alex just happens to live in that area. And Walter Arnold's old trapping grounds are kind of in his backyard. So he says he, he was uh, a trapper kind of in, in high school and a little bit before then. He got out of it for a very long time. And then recently he started reading some of the old uh, Walter Arnold, uh, Walter Arnold articles. He actually had a guy from work, I believe, that told him about Walter Arnold, and he researched it and found Trapping Today and found all the things that I had been been putting up there on the website from the old Arnold articles. He started reading that stuff, got into it, found the podcast as a result, and started listening to the podcast. Got excited about trapping again. And decided to start a trap line this fall. And so a few months later here, just recently, he sent a, uh, a, a follow-up email with a bunch of pictures. And he's got Martin, he's got Fisher, he's got Weasels. And uh, he says, let's see, um, I planned to trap, I had planned to trap very close to where Walter Arnold used to trap near the Notch in Katahdin Ironworks area kind of found myself pigeonholed and remained up there for five or six weeks till I moved closer to home. In those six weeks, I caught two marten, a fisher, and a weasel all within five miles of the notch. That was a place that Arnold talked about passing through and, and uh, running one of his trap lines on and, and how he accessed uh, some of his cabins. 
Then once down home for the remainder of the season, I caught three fisher and a weasel pretty much in my backyard. Used a variety of lures. For some reason, only caught anything on yours, so props. Um, on the podcast, you talk about trying different baits, and I was turned on by another trapper to white, waxy beef fat sold in butcher shops as bird suet, and uh, it seemed to work pretty well. I, actually, I did mention to Alex that I know some other trappers up here that really like beef suet, and uh, it, and it's, it is a popular bait, especially in colder weather. Um, and then he sent a bunch of pictures, so again, pretty awesome to, to see someone getting back into trapping and and obviously really enjoying it so thanks alex for for sharing that and i hope you continue to trap for many years to come now let's go all the way to the other end of the country and talk to allison from alaska she says i i want to give you a little shout out because i started listening to your podcast a few months ago and it's been great i've dreamed about trapping for a few years now but never really thought i'd make it happen on my own i didn't even camp growing up just moved to alaska four years ago this year, I decided to pull the trigger and go for it. Someone suggested your podcast, and it made great listening while I seasoned traps and did research. I didn't really know anyone in the trapping community. and kind of just set out on my own with a lot of research and some luck, but I've made a lot of friends and had so much fun doing it. It being my first year in a warm, rainy winter, I was going to be happy if I caught anything at all, but I've actually got four Martin and a Mink with just eight traps, and there's still six weeks left in the season. Anyway, thanks for doing your thing. Now I can call my garage the fur shed. And actually, Allison has uh, written again more since then and has caught more Martin. So she's uh, continued to have success there. And she sent the picture wearing the Mustella t-shirt. <laughs> so <laughs> I sent the t-shirt to it, Allison in Alaska, and I, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know who it was. And, and all of a sudden she got a picture with the t-shirt and uh, some Martin. It was just pretty cool. So, um, and also Allison had a couple of questions that we're going to get into here a little bit, bit later on. Let's go over to, how about Jonathan from West Virginia? Had a long, 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 long email from Jonathan. It took me a couple of days to get to get through it actually, but he's from West Virginia originally and has more recently moved to Michigan and has uh, kind of got into the sort of homesteading with a a full-time job as well as a small farm and and some property and wanted to do some trapping as well and didn't really know that there were any trappers around or anything but he he actually saw a a flyer up on on one of the local uh, feed stores and about a trapping course and so he and his wife took the course and all of a sudden they became trappers and they've made friends and mentors and everything else and now listening to the podcast so that was really cool Uh, he had a bunch of different questions and mostly just looking for resources for different things so I sent him a couple of resources but the funny thing was he he had numerous questions that he he emailed back a a few days later and said oh I should have just kept listening to the podcast because once I got through most uh, of the a lot of the episodes there were a lot of questions that that I was able to answer for myself so uh, that that was good to hear and and great to have another new yet another new trapper joining the ranks and then I had to just give a shout out to Owen from Minnesota. I don't remember much of a, a background. I don't know if we emailed or not, but I he sent me uh, some a 
DM on Instagram with several pictures of him wearing the Mustela t-shirt with a Martin and one with a weasel. So that was cool. A lot of, uh, he really, uh, really enjoyed the shirt and had a couple of Mustelas that he caught. Dude has an awesome mountain man beard. Uh, that that's something we should all aspire to as trappers. <laughs> so, so thanks, Owen. I know there were more of you, and those are just the ones I could dig out from my my recent emails. So, apologize if uh, if I overlooked anybody, but but yeah, I do appreciate hearing from you as always. Now let's get into some of the questions. Uh, I had first uh, I just got one here today about. Um, uh, a new a new trapper who's been listening to the podcast lately, and he wanted to know about carcass disposal, because it's something that you, you don't I guess you don't really hear much about. You, I guess something that I don't know. We all assume if if we have a place to dispose carcasses, we uh, we don't think about it much. And for new trappers, you're probably not catching enough fur to really uh, make a huge. Uh, create a huge issue with finding a place to dispose of carcasses. You probably live in a rural area, most trappers, and so there's plenty of places and open space, and maybe you got a farm or a friend who has a farm and has a dump pile or something, so so that's not an issue. Um, but it is a good question, because some people may have some some potential issues. So, um, I, I, don't, I don't know, I thought I'd, I'd just kind of rattle that around my thoughts about that on disposing carcasses. Number one, obviously, if you're if you're trapping for beaver or muskrat, they make really good bait, and so you a lot of the carcasses you can just use for bait. So th- so that's uh, that's not a problem. Um, if you are trapping in an area in the deep woods and there's not a lot of people around, and you can just toss carcasses in the woods, you know that's that's kind of what happens. What goes on a lot here. You, know, you go off on the end of a a road that's not very well traveled, and you toss them in the woods, and and maybe scatter a few carcasses out evenly, different places, so they don't make a big stink, and not an area that that people are going to be traveling much. I mean, moose and deer get hit on the road all the time, and and they're just dragged off to the side of the road, and they break. Nature has an incredible way of breaking things down quickly, so you throw your carcasses out in the woods and you can feed the birds and and uh, all of that if you get into where you have a massive massive number of carcasses and it's going to be an issue uh, we actually have areas like there's a designated site in my town that is a kind of a carcass disposal site that has the landowner's permission to dispose carcasses on and it's usually used uh, for meat processors, uh, a lot of times there'll be uh, like a oh, for in years past, during say moose hunting season, there's been a mobile processor that that comes to town, and all the moose hunters come through and they get these big reefer trucks and they uh, they will um, skin and and gut the moose and and quarter it hang it up on hooks in the reefer truck and then they got all this stuff to dispose of and they they have a designated site if you are in a city or a suburban area where you can't really access a a suitable place to dispose of carcasses you may have to use your your local dump Um, you can talk to the uh, someone with the town or the city 
and just kind of uh, verify that. Um, you may they they probably have some sort of designated site. Um, if they, it, it, I mean, they, there's got to be something the the uh, the veterinarian or some I don't know. There there's people someone someone's putting animals down, and they get to have a place in a lot of cases to to deal with them. So I haven't really had, I don't know, I know I'm kind of scatterbrained here, but I, I don't have a spectacular answer because it's just never really been a problem. Um, I, I, I dump them in the woods and, and find a suitable place where, where no one's going to find them. And uh, yeah, that, that seems to work. Feeds the animals, everything breaks back down into nature. But it's a good question. Um, let's see, what else do we got? Somebody, okay, so I had two different questions. When we got into martin trapping, I had uh, uh, Allison ask this, and uh, Nathan in New York asked a similar question uh, about the advantages to uh, boxes, using boxes for martin trapping. And uh, just in, in general, what are the advantages to boxes? Should I be using boxes? And so uh, Allison... Uh, well, first I should back up a little bit. When when I make all these YouTube videos of trapping in Maine with, with these boxes, these Lynx exclusion devices, and I'm catching a bunch of Martin and everybody's excited, I get a lot of comments of people like, hey, how'd you design your boxes? Where Do you have dimensions on those boxes? Can you, can you give me the specs on those? And I, I want to make boxes like that. Where do I get some boxes like that? And I think most people are looking at that and thinking, wow, those boxes are working really well because I'm seeing this guy pull Martin after Martin after Martin and Fisher out of these boxes. When in reality, the only reason I'm doing that is because it's required by law to use those boxes to avoid catching Canada lynx, which are listed in our state under the Endangered Species Act. And so the boxes are actually an impediment to my trapping. They are a pain in the butt to carry around uh, in the back of the truck. you got to haul them out in the woods where you make your set, so you can't go very far from the truck feasibly. you got to haul them back in the truck and back home because if you leave them in the woods, the uh, porcupines and mice and everything else chew, chew them up and, and just destroy them, uh, as well as the bears will mess with them. And they have these tiny openings that a martin will go through, but a fisher oftentimes won't. And sometimes martin won't either, because the opening of the box is so far away from the bait. And so there's nothing good about the boxes, except there's one guy that had sent me a message one time that he said something about he wanted to avoid, oh, I I can't remember off the top of my head, but he wanted to avoid catching something on his trap line. I was like, oh yeah, that box will work pretty well for you. But if you, if they're not required in your state, don't you don't you don't need to use them. Now the the advantage of a box, uh, for for, in my opinion, is you you kind of protect your bait, and you keep your set working even if you get a pile of snow on the ground. Now Allison in in southeast Alaska, you get more rain than snow. Um, it's pretty mild climate there, and the the ground cubby is going to be way more effective than a box set on the ground. I mean, it's just it's going to work, it's going to work better, and you're not going to have to uh, to haul those boxes back and forth, and so you really don't have an advantage there. Um, 
in other places like where you get it where you're getting a bunch of snow uh the boxes especially if you have a place you can bring your box in and just kind of leave it in the woods it, it can be a, an advantage it, it's something that keeps the animals from being able to get at your bait without going through the trap and it keeps your like i said keeps your set working so there's advantages there now nathan asked something along similar lines about newspaper tubes I wrote an article a long, long time ago, like way back at the beginning years of trapping today, about using newspaper tubes for trapping Martin. And short answer, newspaper tubes are awesome. They're light, they're stackable, you can fit a whole bunch of them in the back of the pickup truck, and they, they don't get chewed up like wooden boxes do. They're easy to use, they're super effective, and they're just the right size to fit a 120 conibear. So you take a newspaper tube, you stick bait in the back of it, you cut notches out in the front to hold the springs of the trap, you stick the trap in the front, you wire that newspaper tube to a tree. There's even slots on the bottom uh, that are just perfect size to run a wire through, to wire to to a tree. Boom, have a nice day. You are Martin trapping. They, I, I can't think of, they even have, you know, you drill a few holes in the back so, so the Martin can kind of smell the bait. It's just ideal. They're they're weatherproof. They're light. They're durable. They're easy. Um, they don't take up much space. Uh, hard to beat. So yes, if I could use newspaper tubes legally, I would. And most people did here in the past. Now, the other thing that Allison asked was about avoiding cannibalism. Um, and and I had mentioned that to avoid cannibalism, you know, I've had some issues with cannibalism. Uh, there's a trade-off there. If you're setting on the ground, oh, oh, guys, I sorry to interrupt you. I have to tell you something right now because we're talking about Martin again. And I had uh, two emails this week. It was hilarious, back to back. One email, a guy said, "Hey, thanks, love the podcast and and everything, but you're talking about you're talking too much Martin and too much Alaska. You need to." give some more variety of other parts of the country and other types of traffic getting tired of this Martin in Alaska. <laughs> and then the very next day I get an email from a guy who said, Hey, I'm loving these Martin episodes that you're doing. Keep up the great work. This is awesome. <laughs> I thought that was just, it was just too perfect. I had to mention that, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, Sorry, too much Alaska, too much Mark guy. Um, love you, man, but I'm going to keep doing me. And that's what, gets me uh, excited that's what gets me up in the morning and and psyched up about uh, trapping right now and I'm kind of guy I I dive down a rabbit hole and I get super into something and I I dig deep on it so uh, don't worry though there are plans I got plans to talk about trapping in all of the other parts of the country I have I have a long list of people that um, soon I'm gonna start contacting for interviews now that trapping season's over for me for the most part so, uh, yeah, there's a lot to come, but I thought that was hilarious. So we're going to, hey, maybe we'll just do a every week Martin Trapping. We'll call it the Martin Trapping Today podcast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But anyway, the uh, the cannibalism. So if you're setting on the ground, you're going to be more effective because a lot of Martin are not just, some Martin in some places just will not climb a pole. They will they will not climb a tree. They, they just won't go up. The problem is when you're on the ground, you're going to have a much higher incidence of cannibalism by other marten and uh, shrews and voles uh, and, and mice and stuff messing up your fur and, 
and uh, making holes and, and making a big mess out of your Martin. So uh, it, it's a trade-off that you have to, to consider. Now, one thing that you can do is use pole sets and get that Martin hanging uh, up in the air so they can't get to it. Now, Nathan in New York has a really funny regulation. I've heard, I've heard other guys from New York just kind of roll their eyes about this. You cannot have an animal suspended in a trap in New York. Uh, I, I don't understand why. And it might be specific to certain zones, uh, parts of the state, I'm not sure. But you cannot ha- leave an animal suspended. You have to include enough cable or chain or wire so that they can reach the ground. Again, no, absolutely no clue why that makes any sense, um, especially in body grip traps where you're trying to kill the animal. But anyway, that that's so that's not an option for them. Um, but you know the traditional hanging leaning pole set like out in Alaska, uh, again talking Alaska, and uh, northern Canada where the martin runs up the pole, um, especially in Alaska, he runs up the pole, gets caught in the trap and swings down and is hanging there in the air nothing can get at it to to chew on the fur or mess with it or cannibalize uh, the martin very easily because it's hanging up in the air that works great now allison said awesome but we have issues with birds here and i really don't want to catch a bird And that's a great point if you have a lot of uh, birds like eagles and and uh birds of prey and and hawks and owls and stuff if you number one if you use if if you have foothold traps there on a pole there is a chance of catching a bird and so it's something that you need to consider one very good avoidance technique is uh, to cover that bait so it's not seen from above and you can do that by uh, putting some spruce or fir uh branches over top of the bait Um, you can use like oh i remember charlie tucker used like some sort of tarp material to cover it you can you can get real creative Um, i've even taken old t-shirts and socks like i'll stuff bait in a sock and then nail it to the tree and so it's covered it it doesn't look like meat or anything but the martin can still smell it birds hunt by sight not typically not by smell so that is uh that's one avoidance technique. But if you're still really worried about it, use a body grip trap. Um, use a, po- a pole set with a 120. Uh, actually, if you want to combine all these things we're talking about, take a 120 on a leaning pole set with a newspaper tube <laughs> with the bait inside of the tube. You're not going to catch a bird in that set. Um, it'd be incredibly unlikely that you'd ever catch a bird in, in a set like that. And so uh, it, I would highly recommend that if you're if you're concerned about catching birds and you also want to minimize your uh, your chances of uh, of cannibalism uh, or or getting the fur kind of messed with. Now, granted, you are going to have times you're going to see tracks go right underneath the pole and walk right by martin tracks. They it happens, but uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna eliminate a lot of problems uh, as far as potential non-targets and. And your fur is not going to be wasted. So that's an option to think about. Had a listener ask a question that was a first for me. Wanted to have more information on skunk trapping. And so the guy has moved to Kansas and wants to 
you know, most people go to Kansas to trap coyotes, but he wants to trap uh, skunks. He's got a bunch of coyote trapping experience already, but he kind of wanted to get into skunks. And really, there aren't a lot of people that specialize in in skunks kind of in the outside of the animal damage control community. But I was able to point him in the direction of a skunk trapping episode that is available on YouTube from our friend uh, Rich Mellon at Trapping Inc. TV. So if you want to search that out on YouTube, if you're looking for more information on trapping skunks, he's got a lot of good tips there. So check that out. And then finally, I had a question about stretching boards and buying stretching boards. Where is the best source to get get stretchers? And most of the time, you're going to want to get stretchers from a local source because they cost quite a lot of money to ship. And because of that, a lot of supply houses don't even carry them. Um, I would love to point you to Cotsbros for for stretchers, but they don't have a whole lot of them. Uh, they there isn't really much profit margin in them, and a lot of times it's you know there's a lot of labor involved. We have local guys here that that make them, and I usually I do my best to buy from them, and usually I'll get my stretchers at conventions. Of course, this year there were no conventions, so there wasn't really an opportunity to pick up supplies like that 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 really just don't ship easily. So uh, I had a couple of suggestions, places that I've successfully ordered stretchers, stretching boards in the past. Uh, was was of course F and T for Harvester's Trading Post. They have everything, everything that you could think of. And then the other one for me that was surprisingly was was really good was uh, wildlife control supplies in Connecticut and most of their stuff is more expensive than your typical trapping supply dealer because they're more of a specialty company anyway and they deal more with animal damage control stuff but for some reason that I, I had to get some fisher boards at one point and they were they were really reasonable and of course being close to Maine the shipping was pretty cheap as well so um, I had, you may want to check them out as well. I had really good luck with them too. And there's no doubt there's all kinds of places that you can get, get stretchers from. Um, but, but you will probably have to shop around. Another question asking about the pros and cons of using big bait, big baits versus small baits on the trap line. And apparently somewhere back in the podcast, now Granted, I'm thinking back and I'm spanning like two years worth of podcasting here and I don't remember any of this stuff. But some of you guys are listening. You've just found out about the podcast a few months ago and you're listening through to all of the episodes right all the way back from the beginning. Uh, and at some point, one of you said that I mentioned this and I was I said I was going to discuss this and I cannot, for the life of me, remember the context in which I brought this up. So I don't really know what direction I was going to take it or what I was even thinking. But big baits versus small baits, there's only one thing that I can think of where I I know I did mention this. And so I, I will try to, to cover it. Overall, the size, there it's all, every trapper has their own uh opinions and their own preferences on what they're going to use for bait a lot of trappers coyote trappers a lot of them aren't even using bait they're just using a little bit of lure here and there so the the opinions on bait can vary a great deal bait 
the type of bait and the amount of bait to use can vary seasonally a great deal. And it obviously can vary depending on the type of the, the particular species that you are targeting. Now, all things being equal, if I'm going to be trapping in a cold weather environment and I want to draw animals in to an area, I'm going to want to use big baits. The bigger the bait, generally the more calling power you're going to have in that bait. Bigger the bait, typically, if it doesn't get drug off, the longer it's going to last. And so if you're doing something like, say, a bait station and you're snaring on the way in trails on the way into the bait station or setting traps around it, whatever, depending on what you're allowed to do in your state, uh, big bait's better. If you are um, putting bait down a dirt hole, that's a whole different ballgame. So if I'm, if I'm trapping for, say, for Martin and Fisher, and I've got a box that, again, we're talking Martin Fisher, and I get a box there, and I'm going to stuff bait in the back of the box and put a trap in the box and in front of the bait. If there is no limit to the amount of bait I have, say I've trapped 25 beavers and I got all the carcasses, I'm going to stuff as much bait as I can fit in that box. Because the more bait I have, the more calling power I'm going to have. I'm also going to have some weasels that are going to go in there and dodge around the side of the trap and not get caught. I have some mice. I've had This year was a bad year for mice. There's a lot of things that are going to be stealing some of your bait and feeding on your bait. So uh, I'm going to want to have a lot of bait and and going to be able to for it to work for a long time and to call animals from a relatively long distance. If I'm trapping for coyotes in a dirt hole, the quantity of bait is not so important as is the size of the bait. And this is where I think I mentioned big baits versus small baits in the past because I was having issues last year when I was coyote trapping where I, I, I ran into a jam. I was short on time. I was prepping. I, I just had too many things to do, too many responsibilities, and trapping season was coming up on me fast, and I didn't quite have bait the, where I, I wanted it to be. So I had uh, a bunch of beaver, and I cut it up into chunks as best I could, and I had a bunch of chunks of beaver meat of various sizes, basically from maybe, uh, you know, uh, probably averaging about the size of a golf ball, maybe a little bit smaller than that, and some, quite a, quite a few that were bigger than that. And so I had, that's what I had, and I dig my dirt hole, and in the rocky country there in northern Maine, it's oftentimes hard to get very deep. And so we're shallow holes, small holes, and I'd stuff three, four, or five chunks of that bait in the hole, set my trap, everything good to go, have a nice day, come back, and all the bait's gone, and the trap's not fired off. And I had this happen over and over again. And what I came to kind of realize, or the theory that I arrived at, was that if an, if an animal's coming in there, and you got, say, three chunks of bait in that hole. That's a shallow hole. And they come in and they swipe around and they can get at that bait. And they're not, they just ha- happen to be stepping in an area that's not the pan of the trap. 
And they grab those three chunks of bait, scarf them down, head off down the road, they're done. They don't investigate it anymore. I'd go back, stick a few more in, cover it up, block, set up my blocking a little better, come back the next day, eh, they come back, did the same thing. And so it, it got quite frustrating. And my theory on this is if I had ground that meat and I had um, all these different, this, this same volume of bait, but in much, much smaller pieces, um, it would take a lot more time for that animal to work that set and to extract all of the food from that dirt hole. And the more time at the set and the more effort that it takes to work at that and to get to that food, the more times that foot is going to be moving and the more times that paw is going to be placed on the ground and the greater chance that that paw is going to be placed in that two to four inch diameter area circle that your pan of your trap is on. And so that's that's kind of the the last sort of thought process that went through my head when I think uh, back on on the podcast and mentioning big bait versus small bait. Uh, if there's something else, let me know that that I I did where I mentioned it that I I just can't remember, and maybe we can tackle it on a future episode. And then finally, I had a question about using long distance call directly down a dirt hole. So this is a question. This is uh, this is a good one, um, and it, it gets to back to the the whole. There's there's a trapper preference thing. There's there's this works for me and this doesn't work for somebody else. But there's also what lures certain lures and baits were designed for. And the long distance call is a very very strong lure. Now we're talking about the stuff I make, but there's a lot of other guys that make uh, good long distance call lures as well. And anything with skunk in it is going to be strong, and it's going to smell from a long ways out. I use the long distance call lure, and I'm using it between three to five feet away from my trap, above my set. And the reason for that is I want that skunk essence and and, uh, and and that strong odor to be attracting the animal to the set. But when they, that animal gets close enough to where it can actually smell the bait or the lure, the, the, the pinpointed attractant where the trap is actually set, I want them to focus on that. In a lot of situations, if you have that long distance call lure right directly where you want the animal to go, they're going to smell that from a long ways out, depending on the wind and everything, other conditions. They may be 100 yards out, maybe more. They smell that and, huh, that's interesting. I'm going to go check that out. And they move in and they, they come closer and closer to your set. And they get to about eh, 5 feet away, 10 feet away. And they're smelling that's awfully strong. And it's overpowering odor. And they look around and say, well, I guess that's what that is. You know, there's there's a little bit, there's a little hole there or something. And, and uh, they maybe go a little bit closer. But they may not actually stick their nose in that dirt hole with such a strong lure. 
I, I think it can actually be so overpowering that the animals will avoid the set. And that's why a lot of times, you know, people can do what, what is referred to as over-luring a set, just putting too much lure, uh, even something that's not skunky, just something that that uh, has a smell that's just, it's just overpowering to the animal. You know, they have incredible sense of smell compared to us humans. And never never forget that. They can, they can sm- I don't know if, if, I think I've heard somewhere around um, 10,000 to 100,000 times the the power of the human nose. Um, coyotes can, they're, they're just in, have an incredible sense of smell. So we, we need to remember that when, when you're smelling a lure or you're, you're, or you're using a lure that uh, it, this, this thing has to attract something that has a much more, much keener sense of smell than you do. That being said, there are cases where directly down the hole or directly on top of the bait might be a good situation for uh, to place your long distance call lure. And I would say when it's below zero uh, or maybe 20 or 30 below zero, the any lure's calling power is going to be uh, reduced significantly with the cold weather. And so that, that may be a case where you want to... Uh, you want to place some of that lure right on the bait where when it's it's super cold and, and it's not going to be overpowering. But other than that, yeah, I I in most cases I don't think I'd recommend using long distance call down a dirt hole unless it's a very 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 minute amount of it. And finally, in tonight's episode, we are going to talk about HR eight eight two eight the bill to ban trapping in the United States. I have got so many emails and direct messages and text messages, it, just all kinds of you messages from, from you guys asking about this bill and you need to talk about this. Or do you know about this? Have you heard about this? Are you aware of this? Um, what do you think about this? Is this real? Is it fake? Is it a scam? What's going on? And I kind of brushed it off for a long time, and for reasons I'll talk about in a minute, but um, it, it got to be too much where there were just so many of you asking about it that I, I really did, I, I realized that I really do need to address it. So this, in short, is a bill to ban trapping in the United States. And let's just go over the a little bit of the the summary of the bill. It's US HR 8828 Public Safety and Wildlife Protection Act introduced in the 116th Congress. The bill summary is as follows. Bans steel jaw leg hold traps and conibear traps. Steel jaw leg hold jags um, cage traps, box traps, suitcase type, beaver traps, and mouse or rat snap traps are not included in the ban. The bill establishes penalties for violating this ban. Um, Department of Interior must pay a reward for information that leads to a conviction of a violation of this bill unless information was provided. Blah, blah, blah. Um, let's see. This Okay, here's what I was looking for. The text of the bill. Be it enacted by the Senate and the House of Representatives of the United States. 
Uh, it is the policy of the United States to reduce risks to public safety. Blah, blah, blah. Companions, companion animals and wildlife from indiscriminate and injurious trapping methods by prohibiting the import or export of the shipment in interstate commerce of steel, jaw, leg hold traps, and conibear traps. It shall be unlawful for any person to import, export, deliver, carry, transport by any means whatever in interstate commerce any steel jaw leg hole trap or conibear trap to sell, receive, acquire, or purchase any steel jaw leg hole trap or conibear trap that was delivered, carried, or transported in violation of paragraph. Blah, blah, blah. Whoever knowingly violates this shall be, uh, let's see, $500 fine for the first infraction. And each subsequent violation would be not more than a thousand dollars. Let's see. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, basically, this is a blanket ban on traps in the United States, uh, using, or selling, or transporting. The reason that I never talk about this and I brush it off is not because it isn't important. But it's because it's not going to happen. Uh, this bill, and I hate to say that because I hate to be the guy that says this will never happen and then all of a sudden, you know, it, it creeps up on you. But this bill has been introduced many, 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 many times. I remember when I was a young trapper and I'd see this come up and I was just shocked. And what are we going to do? We're going to lose trapping. This is an outrage and we need to... Uh, do the, something about this. Uh, Congress has no right to um, regulate traps or trapping in any of the United States. This bill, there's a reason they keep talking about interstate commerce because they're trying to use the interstate commerce clause, which is the only place in the United States Constitution that allows the federal government to stick their nose in the state's business. And the feds have used interstate commerce clause to regulate a lot of things, including the Endangered Species Act. And in many people's opinions, mine included, it's a vast overreach of federal powers. But we're, we're beyond that. We're there. The feds control any endangered, federally listed endangered species through the uh, ESA under the guise of the um, Interstate Commerce Clause. However, this is an issue of managing wildlife in each state. And because this this trap ban, there's a reason that, <laughs> that this was is looks the way it does. Um, this is broad, this is overreaching, and this is so incredibly restrictive that it's obvious that the sponsors of the bill know that it has no chance of passing. Um, and speaking of the sponsors of the bill, maybe we should uh, take a look at them. Make sure that you, I don't get political on this show, mind you, but uh, let's make sure that you didn't vote for any of them. Um, they are... Alma Adams, Democrat, Nita Lowy, Democrat, Grace Napolitano, Democrat, and Eleanor Norton, Democrat. I do not know where they're from, but they're probably, I think Napolitano's from California, and the other ones may be, for all I know. But they, uh, here's my theory on it. 
I think I think these people introduce this bill and people similar to them every few years in order to kind of display to the animal rights community that they're doing what they can to try and ban this cruel act of trapping. Uh, I say that in quotes, cruel. And they can go to the Humane Society of the United States. They can go to the all the different groups, the, the animal rights groups that are, are trying to ban fur and ban trapping and say, look, we sponsored this bill. Uh, we support you 100%. Hey, you know, you really should donate to our campaign uh, to fund our re-election so that we can continue to introduce bills like this. That, To me, that's what's happening here. The bill's been sent to committee. It's going to die in committee. Uh, I don't see how it wouldn't. So so I, I, I would not be concerned about it. Uh, just, just I'll set that aside for a minute. Now... That being said, now if, if they were serious about banning trapping, they would be strategizing like the animal rights groups are in individual states and trying to knock off certain things that are easy to grab. Uh, for instance, bear baiting in Maine. They thought it was easy. It turned out to be very difficult for them. They lost twice in a row. But um, trying they're trying to do th- look at things that are um, very controversial and don't have a lot of support and trying to ban those on the fringes, and then, and then take a stab at trapping. So, uh, Washington was an example where they did ban bear baiting, and then a few years later, if uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, guys like Vince, but I'm quite sure this is how it happened. They they banned bear baiting, and a few years later, they went back and and brought up a initiative to ban trapping, and it passed. Uh, Oregon, I believe, banned bear baiting, and then tried trapping, and it did not pass. Um, but other other states have had uh, had similar initiatives, and they just go piecemeal and they try to find little ways. And then they'll use the Endangered Species Act and sue. They sued Maine several times over links to, and changed the laws to make it harder to trap. They didn't ban trapping, but they essentially changed trapping for us and made it more difficult. Uh, they're doing it in Minnesota right now. So so those are the strategies on the ground that you really have to watch out for now. All that being said, for you guys that did not know that this was kind of just a, you know, one of those those uh, bills that it, that is put on display to uh, to try to prove a point and or or garner up funding for animal rights groups. This is an incredible opportunity for you to use your concern about this issue and contact your representatives and say, hey. I saw something about this bill, H.R. 8828, about banning trapping. And maybe it's not going to happen. But I want to know where you stand on trapping. I'm a strong supporter of trapping myself. And I hope that you will recognize the state's right to manage its wildlife. And I want to make sure that you are going to support us and defeat this bill and any other bill like it. Because one of these days, there's going to be a bill that comes up like H.R. 8828, that has a better chance of passing. Maybe the the sponsors are going to craft something a little bit different, something that seems a little, quote-unquote, better, more acceptable to the mo- most of the public. And that's where it could get very dangerous for trappers, for state agencies, for wildlife managers, um, and 
and we're going to lose trapping in, in cases like that. So, as a new trapper or an old trapper, it's an opportunity to bring up the discussion. But as far as banning trapping nationwide, I'd be more concerned about potential bans on national wildlife refuges on uh, federal lands right now with the, with the way the administration has changed recently. So uh, I'd, I'd be a little more concerned about policy in the Department of the Interior than I would uh, about a, a nationwide trapping ban. But those are all things to think about and be concerned about and talk about. Um, this was also brought up uh, by um, Ryan Callahan in his Cal's Week in Review podcast as part of the, the Meat Eater crew. And, and he mentioned kind of something, you know, Cal is a hunter and not a trapper, but he's been around some trappers. And, and he mentioned something that was, that really kind of hit home for me is that trappers need to do a better job of getting the word out on what they do and why they do it and how they do it. Um, because trapping is important. And he made a great point that whether you trap or not, you um, benefit from the things that trapping provides, whether it's animal damage concerns or population uh, disease management. You benefit from trapping. You may not know it. Trappers, he said they can sometimes be their own worst enemies. And and I think for the most part, that's that's not the case, but it can be at times. So so it's a concern. Remember, like we said, just always be aware of, of what you're putting out to people um, when you're you're representing yourself as a trapper. But um, we do need to to kind of get the word out more on what we do, and uh, and and just kind of kind of let people know because when this stuff comes up and people have to vote a certain way, you want them to know the real trappers, and and you want them to know. Uh, what we do and and why we do it and why it's important so keep it in mind guys it's a great episode thank you again for listening in i I do like doing these kind of catch-up episodes where we we do a bunch of sort of uh, feedback and and emails and questions and all that stuff so it's good to kind of keep the email slate clean and, and do a little housekeeping and stuff and i hope you enjoyed it now finally our cots brothers message of the week have you signed up for the Cots Bros newsletter yet? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? The newsletter is the way to get information on deals, on new products, on discounts, or whatever else Cots Bros has going on. So go to cotsbros.com and click on the link to sign up for the weekly newsletter. You give them your email address. You make sure that that doesn't land up in your spam folder. Um, and you get the updates from Cots Bros. So thanks, Cots Bros, for your support of the podcast. Thank you guys for listening in. As always, if you have questions or feedback, jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Until next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We will catch you on the next episode.